You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Good morning. I don't know if this is morning, but welcome into Half Street High Heat episode 143. Let's just pretend it's 143. No, it is not 143. Isn't it like 193? I feel like. Yeah. Yes. Well, I meant 193. So in my mind, as I was picturing the number, I mixed up my nines and fours because I have terrible handwriting in my hypothetical vision. Your, your brain um, has terrible handwriting. Right. Right. So 193. <laughs> of half street high heat i am nick you can follow me on twitter at the coach moose i am joined by my lovely co-hosts i'm not gonna do your thing Amanda. i'm not gonna come up with a different word every time that's your thing not mine <laughs> amanda at a white seven eight seven seven and ryan at we are all shack and of course follow the show at half street high heat uh the nats before we you know get into everything just coming off a loss to the dimebacks tonight they split the series two games to two games uh lots to talk about i think you know just off the top we're trying we're, we're starting to see like a better picture of who the nets really are there was some fun moments you know over the past week or so but i think now it's kind of reality is setting in a little bit especially the injury bug which we'll talk about in a little bit but before we get into all that let's do our quick pitch who do you think the worst team in baseball is not record wise, but just on paper at the end of the year, who's the worst team in baseball? I see about them splitting a series with the diamondbacks. So I want to say the Nats just out of irritation. I mean, I would say, I would say the Nats. I'd said the Nats were worse than the diamondbacks before the series. Honestly, I think it's between the Nats and the reds, the Nats, in my opinion, and I don't really think it's up for debate, have the worst pitching staff in baseball. That includes bullpen as well and depth. 
by far and away the worst. Middle of the order probably gets them above the Reds, but I would say it's between them two. Um, Nats won't finish with like worst or second worst record than the year just because other teams have been tanking for longer and know how to do it better. But I'll go final answer, Reds. Yeah, I like that. I, I think I would, like I said, the Nats are on the list for sure, but they do have, you know, you said the middle of the order. And I just feel like with Soto on the team, I don't know if you'll be the worst team in baseball. I think he's, he's too good to make it, you know, to have that guy on your team and still be the worst. So one of 26. I know, I know, but he's just so impactful. I feel like he'll, he'll have enough hero moments at some point during the season to win them a few extra games and keep them from being the worst team on paper. Man, I was, I immediately went to the Orioles and I was like, there's no way the Nats have a worse pitching staff than the Orioles. The Orioles pitching staff is better they than the Nats. They do. They most the, assuredly do. The <laughs> Orioles the have, the Orioles have very sneaky good pitching depth as well. Yeah. And you have the top, like two of the best pitching prospects as well. Their pitching staff is in good shape. God, I'm, I'm looking, I don't have the actual team staff, stats. I'm just looking at the roster and, just clicking on random guys, they all have like good numbers, you know, 10 games into the season or what, or 15 games into the season, whatever right now, what the hell, <laughs> like how far <laughs> we've fallen. Oh man. Um, that I, reality check is not so fun. <laughs> no, like the, the Rangers only have two wins right now. They're not the worst team in baseball. I don't think they're great, uh, but they're not the worst team in baseball. I want to say the Reds right now. Um like obviously right now, yes, but like going forward and projecting into the season, I want to see the Reds because I think they sell even more if there is more. I guess technically they have Luis Castillo, who is he even pitching for them right now? I think he might be injured. Um, and they have uh, uh, well, I'm not sure if Mustakis is worth anything at this point. He's on the Reds, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. But I, I just bring that up. Not that Castillo is better, but not that Moustakis is like a game changer, but I do think they will literally sell anything and everything. And with the Nats, at least they care enough to put off that PR front that, hey, we're trying to win. Um, it's, it's 100% PR. Right, not a rebuild right. or whatever. Yeah, but you saw the Reds and something we didn't talk about on the podcast, but they're – um, I don't know if it was their owner or like the owner's son or someone like that. He was talking about, uh, it was on some show, I think it was a radio show. And he was asked, uh, you know, how do you respond to all the fans who say, you know, it's been a disappointment in the 16 years you've owned the team. And his immediate response was like, all right, let's start with, well, where else are you going to go? I know. Like you, I saw yeah. that. <laughs> he was like challenging fans and listen, it's Cincinnati and Ohio sucks. And I get right. that. But he's not wrong (laughs) at the very, yes, that's fair. At the very least, you should deserve an owner that cares. Uh, I mean, to just put it out there so bluntly Mm -hmm. is just, and and we've talked about it on the show. Like one of the, like the lines from these million podcast episodes that we've done. One of the lines I'll always remember is like Ryan doing his weekend review after the 2020 season to start at 2021 and he goes and the red 60 game window has like quickly closed or whatever. I'm just like, because going into 2020 season, albeit a shortened season, we are all kind of like excited about the reds and what they're putting together. And then 60 games in a very, very weird season that you could not, you know, take to heart because of just all the randomness that 
went on that season and the Reds just gave up and they're just giving guys away. It's just, so I, I guess I'm kind of like manifesting it too. Like I, I just don't want the Reds to be, <laughs> uh, you know, rewarded for that kind of ownership, but you know, that's, you know, ownership probably doesn't really have much of an effect on that. It's just kind of crazy to hear someone kind of openly admit that, but I would say Reds, um, because I, th- I think anyone that is good, they will try to trade. And the Nats, they'll probably live in denial a little bit more, and that'll win them a couple extra games to help them not be in the basement. But they are yeah. bad. Make no mistake they are about bad. it. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. So on to the uh, series. We're talking the four-game set against the Dimebacks. Monday's game rained out, ended up being a doubleheader on Tuesday. Um, and then, of course, Wednesday, wrapping up Thursday, won the doubleheader. They went up against Mass and Bumgarner and Tyler Gilbert, two like pretty solid pitchers. Bumgarner's not what he once was, um, but they're able to knock off those two lefties. And then they got uh, Merrill Kelly on Wednesday night and Zach Davies tonight. So they knocked off the two lefties, lost to the two righties. Um, that's I don't know if that's a pattern evolving if we seem to hit lefties better, it seems like on paper we should hit righties better, but what do I know? Um, just overall thoughts on the series. I predicted three of four today, Thursday night. We're recording this. It was definitely a winnable game that there was a couple of things happened that happened towards the end that, you know, cost them the game specifically. They lost four to three. So it was definitely a winnable game, but just thoughts on the series as a whole. Now that's all wrapped up and we just saw our team split with the, previously thought to be worst team in the NL. <laughs> um, I, oh, I predicted a split, so it kind of worked out the way I thought it was neat to, you know, it was fun for them to sweep the double header. Um, you know, Bumgarner, you just mentioned is not what he once was, but he's got a one, three, eight ERA. It's not like he's terrible. So it, it was a good win. And they held them in that, you know, that day where they had the two games, um, they held them to one run. And, uh, you know, they're not a good offense. So that's kind of what you ought to do. But um, given how weak are the pitching has been for the Nats. It was an encouraging performance. Um, the last two days, a lot less. So, um, did you have, didn't you Nick have a, have a bet on Hernandez getting a hit today? Was that? Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up too. I went on quite the heater this week and then I challenged it. I, I tried to heat check. My, oh, I mean, I did heat check myself uh-huh. and, uh, the gambling gods were not too happy yeah, he about went over that four today. Yeah, so that's what I get for being a little too greedy. My apologies. And uh, I'm probably going to go into cold streak now because it's the gods smiting me for taunting them. Yeah, probably so. Well, the game yesterday was dreadful. It was 11 to 2. When you let an offense like the Diamondbacks beat up on you that much, then, you know, that just does not speak well. Fetty got really torched. He's um, He only went 3.1 innings in that game, gave up eight hits seven runs, six of them earned and only three strikeouts. So that was a, not a good outing for him. He's sitting at a six, seven, five now. And, you know, I mean, I didn't have high hopes for Fetty, but good grief. That was, that was not a good performance. And today, Josh Rogers only went 4.1 and uh, gave up three homers and he's rocking a 5.14. I think, is it Adon? Is he the one who has the best ERA on the staff right now? I'd have to look No, Josiah Gray. Josiah Gray. So um, Rogers looks bad and so does, so does Fetty. Both of these losses were 
were not good. I mean, we've got additional injuries, um, bullpen injuries, which is not good. So it was, you know, it wasn't a great, wasn't a great series for the Nats. The doubleheader wins were nice. It was good to see the pitching, you know, hold up and not give up a lot of runs, but that didn't last. Yeah. Uh, one of the funniest things of the series was in, ironically, in yesterday's game when uh, the Diamondbacks blew out the Nats, uh, the Diamondbacks had scored 10 runs and you can hear Kevin Franson trying to do the math really quick. And he starts saying a sentence and then he stops. And then the Diamondbacks push the 11th run across and he goes, all right, now I can say it. the Diamondbacks have scored 11 runs tonight. That's 33% of the runs they scored this season <laughs> all oh. in one game. But it was just funny, like hearing him like stop and start. And, <laughs> but yeah. just goes to show the Diamondbacks are not good in their own right. And they, you know, took care of the Nats. And the second game of the doubleheader was great. Yeah. A win is a win. And we'll talk about more of the, the game specifics at, as we get deeper into the episode. But that was almost, the, it should have been a blown save by Tanner Rainey. I don't know how the Diamondbacks don't yeah. win there it was... <laughs> or push a run across there, uh, at least one to tie the game. Um, but they didn't, and the Nets, you know, escaped. But the Diamondbacks were the better team in the series, if we're being honest. Ryan, what were your thoughts on the series? Well, the reason why it wasn't a blown save is because coming into the series, the Diamondbacks were by far the worst offensive team in baseball. Um, Seth Beer coming into it was the only guy that was hitting. They were last in just about every single offensive category. But the series was just a snooze fest extremely boring to watch. Please never play the Diamondbacks again. Um, but yeah, I mean, the series was so tough to watch. Not a lot of fans there, which doesn't really add to it either. Just a whole around snooze fest. Splitting against the Diamondbacks, like, really shouldn't happen. But like, when your team's the way it is, that's fine. Like, I guess it's one of those series that just highlights that this entire season is going to be what did the young guys do day in and day out? That's truly the only thing that matters. Not really the results of the games. Like we're 15 games into the season. You kind of have to stress that because this team stinks. They went three and five. Then with three and five against the pirates and the diamondbacks, that says a lot about where they are as a team, you know, bright side, Victor Robles is hitting 200 over his last seven games. Um, not trying to say the man's getting hot, but uh, the man's getting hot because He's hitting 114 over his last 15. So guys heating up, it's it just reiterating the point that don't get so focused in the results. Pay attention to what the young guys are doing. Victor Robles, Keeper Ruiz, Josiah Gray, Soto, Bell, not a young guy, love the guy anyways. Paying attention to them and seeing their development is truly all that matters. And there's good and there's bad across the board and guys' development. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we dive into the series. Yeah, I mean... That's a great point and great sage advice by you. Just don't be so invested in the results. It's, uh, you know, step-by-step, step, trust the process, all that, you know, PR talk, so to speak. The happiness but, is low expectations. All that well, the bar is the floor. That's why we could do these episodes without blowing our brains out because, mm -hmm. you know, we don't have any expectations for this team. The expectation, if there was one, was that this team was going to stink and it, they do. So we're feeling good because we were right. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the what spirit. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's what it comes down to. Um, but let's dive in. We'll, you know, if you've been listening to us before, you'll recognize this segment. We're going to talk good, bad, and ugly of the four game set. The good, 
I mean, we'll we'll lump in. I was going to say bullpen, but we'll also lump in uh, Josiah Gray and Joanna Don as well. But the bullpen has still been pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And like you go to the uh, you know eleven run game on Wednesday night. Uh, most of that was Fetty. I believe he gave up seven, gave if I'm not seven. mistaken. And then um, uh, Patrick Murphy came in. Yeah, I'm all his, good on Patrick Murphy. I'm... Yeah, his his outing was not good, but that was also assisted by the Lucius Fox error that led yeah. to two unearned runs as well. But then you get four clean innings of baseball from four guys that you would not expect. Like if this was C-Shack, Doolittle, Finnegan, Rainey going four clean, you're like, okay, that's well within. We've seen that actually a couple times this season. But the four clean innings were Sam Clay, who we'll talk about why he's up in a little bit, Andres Machado, Hunter Harvey, and Paolo Espino. Like them going four clean when you just expected that game to turn into another position player pitching type game. Like that that's promising. Like, again, the, we lost the game and all that stuff, but we're focused on the individual performances right now because a lot of these guys are kind of fighting for their job right now. Amanda and I uh, talked about it on the last episode um, with the roster shrinking down, especially these bullpen guys, a lot of them are pitching for their, for their jobs right now. So to see them come out and really compete and Allison mentioned it on the spaces today after the game, like there's some guys, I'm sure you can probably guess who that when they pitch, it just doesn't look like they even care about the result. Like they're just out there because they're supposed to, but you know, it is good to see some of these young guys and some of these fringe guys really giving it their all and being frustrated in themselves if they don't do well and, you know, challenging themselves to do better. But thoughts on the bullpen. Uh, we lost Sean Doolittle to injury. That was quick. Uh, mm-hmm. We lost Hunter Harvey. Not that that's a huge loss, but I mean, we're already scraping the bottom of the barrel with our bullpen. Uh, so, it, and I see that's on top of Mason Thompson and Will Harris not being in the bullpen to begin with. Well, Mason Thompson shortly thereafter. But thoughts on the bullpen and obviously Josiah Gray and Yana Don. The bullpen is honestly facing the perfect lineups right now. The Braves lineup is just a mess right now. It's a complete and utter disaster. The Braves lineup is going to get better once Acuna comes back. So they got to see a bad Braves lineup without Acuna. They saw an average lineup in the Mets. Um, And they saw a terrible lineup. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, A below average lineup in the Pirates. And then a bad lineup in the Diamondbacks. Those are good teams you want your young pitching staffs to face early on in the season, especially ones that just aren't very good on paper. They get a little bit of confidence in themselves and, you know, build up upon them and get some results and build off that. Those are the right teams you want them to face early on. They succeeded. They did a great job against them. They're doing what they're supposed to. They unironically might have the best bullpen right now they've had in a while. The true test will come up once I think after this series, they uh, play the Giants next. I think I could be wrong about yeah, that. No, they do three games. Okay. Set. Yeah. Um, by the way, that Giants met series felt like a playoff series the whole time. That 100%. was hundred percent. Yeah, that was fun. That um, was a fun one. The Giants lineup is ugly on paper, but just some reason it, it it's good. I don't know. Makes no sense once again, but the, the lineup, I mean, not the lineup, the schedule is going to get tougher. So them having these games where they could, 
go out there, be successful and get that confidence is going to be important because when you have guys who don't have a lot of innings underneath their belt, they're trying to find their way, trying to figure out who they are as a major league pitcher, being able to face these bad teams and be successful is great. You know, that should have been a blown save with the bases loaded. That wasn't, that's going to go a long way. It is unfortunate that Doolittle got hurt. Um, the warning signs were there after his last start. His fastball velocity was down two miles. His curveball velocity was down four miles per hour. So the warning signs were there for him. But that just means it's a, another opportunity for a young guy to help figure things out and hopefully get in the groove and truly learn from it because it's all you can really look forward to right now. This bullpen that's surprisingly doing well is just learning experiences. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, it's interesting. Hunter Harvey, you just mentioned, Nick, it's not like that's some great loss, but he was, he had only pitched four, well, pitched four innings, but he had a zero ERA. I mean, he had that's, four clean innings. that's who he's been his entire life. Like yeah, the stuff is there. Healthy. He just can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's going to be, he's on the IL now. They put him on the 10 day. Hopefully it won't be any longer than that, but they active, they brought up Erasmo. I think I'm saying that right. Erasmo Ramirez. Yes. Um, who's 31. Interesting to me that they did not bring up Clippard. They brought this guy up instead. Um, I did a little reading on him. It seems like he can go multiple innings. So Nick, we were talking in the last episode about how they're going to need somebody possibly for Saturday. So maybe their plan is to have somebody who can go multiple innings for them if they need. It does seem, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like, it does seem it's going to be a Spino now because all you have to do is not pitch him tomorrow and he's good for Saturday. He just pitched an inning. He threw like 11 pitches on Wednesday night. Yeah, which is like fine. A, that's a, that's effectively his midweek bulb. Yeah. His midweek bullpen. So he should be good for Saturday. Yeah. So they brought, but to me, it was quite interesting that they chose to bring Ramirez up rather than Clippard. Um, is Clippard's on the 40 man, isn't he? I don't think so. I is think he not. Cause I was like, cause they had to put Ramirez, they had to clear a space on the 40 man to bring Ramirez up. And it was just, and, it was just interesting to me. It's worth mentioning that that corresponding move was moving a Adrianza to the, the 60 day, day dl il sorry my bad um but tyler clipper is not he's not on right. the 40 man no okay. so that that but that wasn't the move that was for um erasmo ramirez like amanda said that's important because that effectively pushes lucius fox into this backup role and i think lucius fox was, was fun to root for at the beginning but now we kind of see he's just not very good if we're being honest, like, uh, don't get me wrong. I want to root for the, or I am rooting for the guy and I hope he proves me wrong, but he's had some re- you want to talk about non-competitive at bats. He's probably the biggest culprit. And there's a reason he can't well, beat out. Alcides es- well, there's a reason he can't Especially. beat out Alcides Escobar. Yeah. Like at least Victor Robles can beat out Lane Thomas sort of like Lucius Fox can't even push for playing time against Alcides Escobar. Um, and obviously we'll talk about Luis Garcia as well as we do every episode, but Lucius Fox is basically their backup infielder. We saw him play third last night when Josh Bell got hurt and Michael Franca moved to first. So they signed Adrianza. It wasn't like anything crazy, but they signed him to be this utility man. And now without D strange Gordon, he's on the IL for kind of unspecified reasons. Um, and now Adrianza on the 60 day, Lucius Fox is going to have to step up, but I'm not too confident in that yeah well back to the 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 bullpen more generally um that was just interesting the um losing harvey and what they chose to do in response but you know in this series the bullpen was was impressive i mean they had four see the first game of the doubleheader they had four clean innings um you know zero runs 
a, three clean innings in the second game. A couple of hits from Rainey, but as we know, that that one, he didn't give a, he bent very far, but he did not break. Um, the third game, the blowout game wasn't great, but as you pointed out, the last four innings were clean and, and it was Perez and, and Murphy who gave up runs. And then today, again, you know, it's what, five? No, four innings, right? Point, Arano only pitched two thirds, if I remember. Four and, four and two thirds. More. So four and two thirds, right, of clean, no runs. So I, I didn't have high expectations for the bullpen and they, they, I think I've said this on every episode, they're exceeding my expectations and they continue to impress a lot more than the, the lineup or the starting pitching, certainly. Sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. And like Ryan's point, it definitely holds water. Like the teams we are, have been facing, like we had, we haven't really faced that great of a team yet. I think, again, I, I do think the Mets are pretty good and, them winning three or four against the Giants and that pitching staff kind of shows that it's early in the season. The Mets will collapse. They're, the Mets are going to the Mets. Um, but they're, as of now, April 21st, the best team in baseball, if you're just going off of win totals. Um, but that lineup's not regarded as one of the best. So we're going to get tested. The bullpen's going to get tested here on out as our schedule starts to get a little bit more difficult. But it is good and super important with how the other two phases of the game, the starting pitching and well, the obviously defense is a phase of the game, but uh, starting pitching and offensively how we're doing right now, it's good to at least have one of those pillars doing well. And that's the bullpen ironically right now, which is seemingly always been our As downfall. We all predicted. Right. Exactly. Um, one name I want to mention that we haven't talked about uh, at least this episode is uh, Victor Arano. Allison's new favorite player. He threw her a ball. Um, eight games this season, two, three, five ERA, 7.2 innings, 12 strikeouts, 0.78 whip. He's been great. And with these injuries, especially the Doolittle injury, I think that's the key one. We could see Arano kind of fill in that Doolittle role. Yes, he's not a lefty, but Doolittle wasn't being overly used in those lefty-lefty matchups. And with the three batter minimum, the lefty-lefty specialists are kind of uh, a dying breed. On anyway, yeah. Right. Um, so I... I think Arano is probably the guy to step up into a more high leverage role. If there is such a thing when you're playing for the Nats. Um, so like a six, seventh inning guy, because right now I don't understand Davies bullpen usage still confuses me sometimes. Um, it, it's been better as of late because we've talked about like last episode and last two episodes, uh, you've had four pretty dependable guys with C-Shack, Doolittle, Finnegan, and Rainey. And now with Doolittle gone, you have to have someone step up. But you know, on paper, in theory, you have at least three right now. Um, you know, the four I mentioned minus Doolittle. So, you know, it, his usage isn't... Um, Overusing anybody to... Right, right. Because he has three dependable guys. But again, like using Arano to finish out an inning is just kind of, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like not the best use. And there's that dives into the argument of like, oh, well, the save doesn't always come in the ninth inning. It could come in the fifth inning or sixth inning or whatever. So I guess that logic could be applied. But if you're constantly pitching him, you know, as a bridge guy, I would like to see him in more high leverage roles with a clean inning too. Um, but he, he's been great thus far and hopefully he can keep it up. Good cleanup work for sure. Yeah, because we talked about, or talk to Jesse Doherty as we did our Nat season preview. And he was Victor Arano was the guy he picked to be that 
you know, bold prediction, dark horse guy. Um, and, you know, through eight games or eight appearances, we're seeing that like Victor Arano is the guy nobody's talking about right now, because again, the Nats bullpen as a whole has been generally pleasant and you can't always say that. I don't even think I've ever said that about the Nats bullpen. <laughs> um, so Victor Arano is definitely a part of that and worth mentioning um, as well. But just to touch on the starting pitching, Josiah Gray, Yohanna Don, awesome. Like just, I think they went in a combined, Yohanna Don set the record this season for the Nats starting pitching going more than six. So congrats to Yohanna Don, just like we all expected. Um, but I think like 11 and third between the two, one earned run, like six hits, seven hits. And obviously those are the two wins. So shocker when you're starting pitching does well, you're more competitive, uh, but they were great. Hopefully they can carry that over. I think Josiah Gray will go uh, Sunday in the third game against the Giants. So that'll be a good test. And Yoana Don will probably go next Tuesday against, uh, I believe it's the Rockies who we play. Um, and then tomorrow, <laughs> Patrick Corbin and Saturday, Paolo Espino. All right, let's move on to the bad and specifically the top half of the lineup. Um, that weren't all bad and not necessarily, you know, at the same time, but as a collective unit, there needed to be more. It, it's not like they're bad going forward, but it was kind of an underwhelming series when you look at the numbers. So um, if you're looking at the top five and really sat out the second game of the doubleheader, so his numbers look a little bit better and four, he went four for eight, four for eight in games three and four. So obviously you will take that. But Cesar Hernandez, he went three for 17. And I think he had one walk as well. So just call it four for 18. Like that's not very great. Soto, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later. And Ryan put out good stats about Soto. Uh, it, I think he's just getting really frustrated. He's not getting a lot to hit right now. He's still getting walked. Uh, he's up there in walks. So no surprise there. But when you, you can only get walked so much before you start swinging outside of the zone because you just want to hit. And I think we saw that at the end of the game today. He only had two hits in the series. He went two for quick math, two for 12. So obviously not very Soto-like. Cruz, obviously the home run today, He but he only went three for 12 as well. Bell, he got hurt in game three, so that's worth mentioning. Uh, that might have affected him today because he went 0 for 3 today, but he only had three hits in the series. Ruiz, he only had four hits in the series, but again, he took the um, the second game of the doubleheader off. Just thoughts on the top half of the lineup because offensively, you know, prior to the season, on paper, all that, whatever, you would say, oh, if our offense is going to click, these are the guys as to why it will click. And we saw it in bits and pieces, obviously, the Nelson Cruz home run, Soto was on base. And, you know, Bell's been a, a pretty good RBI machine thus far this year. But it just seems like they're not clicking all at the same time. And that's a problem because our lineup is not deep enough to overcome those deficiencies and those inconsistencies. So what are your thoughts on the lineup, especially against the Diamondbacks, who you know, their, their pitching's decent, but you should be able to hit them. Yeah, I am um, looking at the stats on you know, hits from what, you know, who, which came from which part of the lineup here, as you're talking, um, they're almost, it's almost even, or, you know, I think three out of the four games, the top half of the lineup had one more hit than the bottom half. And as we know, the bottom half has not been great. Um, and then there's one game where it was exactly even. So, I mean, it's not, they're not good numbers. I mean, bell, 
this wasn't his very best series, but he's been, he's been hot to start the season. You know, he's, he's hitting really, really well. He's, what is his average now? 364. Uh, I think he's, you know, obviously that's early season type of numbers. It's not going to stay that high, but um, he's been really great. Soto, unsoto like was the perfect description you used there um, so far. I, I don't think you can blame him. He's, he's getting pitched around and I'm sure that's starting to really frustrate and piss him off. Um, but yeah, the top half of the lineup and there have been a few times, especially in the Brave series where the top half of the lineup was really clicking and this series, it definitely wasn't. Yeah, I mean, the the lineup as a whole is just like on paper. It doesn't really intimidate you. The problems that we're seeing right now, and again, this is a very small sample size. Things are going to change. We're only 15 games into the season. The bottom half isn't good. Like we've, we've talked about that at nauseum, but when the top half isn't hitting or isn't clicking, this is what we're going to see. And it's ugly. Um, Cesar Hernandez just isn't getting on consistently enough right now. He had that really nice streak where he started off every game with a hit. Problem was that's the only thing he was doing. And so when you look at the fact that he lands a 265 on base percentage this year, that's an issue. Nelson Cruz is off to a very slow stretch this year. A little unfortunate. That's an issue as well. Josh Bell, um, absolute fantastic start to the season. Josh Bell is very streaky. He was also hitting above his means. Means he might start regressing soon. Anyways, that's fine. That's going to happen as well. Every single time a player has a hot start to the season, a over fifteen or a two for seventeen streak follows it. That's baseball. That happens. A lot of these guys are still in spring training mode. And that's playing effect, not just for the Nats, but across the league as well. And I think as we finally start getting into May, we're going to see more hitters and more pitchers finally click as well. You know, like it was a short spring training. This is supposed to be like the last week of spring training, if you count weeks wise. But the lineup as a whole is genuinely an issue. Keeper Ruiz, he had an 0 for 10 streak, but. He snapped that by going four for eight in a couple RBIs. His bat looks really good this year. He has a lot of bad luck. He's third in uh, percentage of hits that go with between a 10 to 15% launch angle. Um, you're If you're hitting it between there, you're going to get hit a lot of hits. Bad luck is following him there. The issue with Soto is he's, yes, he's not getting anything to hit, but no one is making them pay around him. Like when he is getting pitched to, He's one for 12 with runners in scoring position this year. He's only had 12 opportunities with runners in scoring position through 15 games. That's an issue. Um, and the problem is Victor Robles, 184 on base percentage. Cesar Hernandez, 265 on base percentage. Cesar Hernandez needs to start getting on more consistently. The more consistent that he gets on, he's going to start getting pitched to. Nelson Cruz is not a factor right now. So with Cesar Hernandez constantly getting out, they're going to pitch around Soto because says, uh, Nelson Cruz isn't scaring anyone. It's just that's just the fact the way the lineup is right now for Soto to finally get pitched to and his offense to finally start going. Nelson Cruz needs to start hitting like he does and Cesar Hernandez need to get on more consistently. It's only 15 games. Yes, but there's some very concerning factors that we're seeing that this team needs to figure out quickly for this offense to have some kind of life for it because young guys that we want to see they're going to start suffering because of that and then it's just not going to be very fun to watch what do you think right. about the idea of moving bell into where cruz is behind soto i personally don't hate it 
Um, I know they want to leave Cruz behind Soto just because Cruz is a consistent right-handed power bat. Josh Bell is streaky in the switch hitter. So I think they want that threat of a righty behind them just for teams to have a problem with when they go to like bullpens and stuff like that. But I don't hate it. Yeah, I, I don't hate it either. Uh, Ryan, just a, a quick question for you. What would you consider a good on base percentage to be? Like, what would you take? What would you accept? Um, so that it depends position and where you're hitting in the lineup. Just in general. 330 and up. The Nats have three guys in their entire team, even guys that have only played one game that have a on base percentage higher than that. And one of them is Yadiel Hernandez, who cannot hit lefties. The other two, I'm sure you can guess, are Josh Bell and Juan Soto. So it's like, and I, I bring this up Yadiel with Yadiel Hernandez in that group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of these is not like the others. Um, but like, you know, to, to Ryan's point, and it's something I've been saying on the spaces and with Robles in particular, it's like if they can just be pesky and annoying and see pitches and work walks and, you know, just have good contact, that that's something that that's at least contributing in some way. Like a hard out is still, you know, put the ball in play, good things happen type deal. But so many of these guys are just having non-competitive at-bats. Lane Thomas had one of the worst at-bats I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> You're I'm, never going to get over that I'm one. not – well, I talked about it in the spaces. I didn't talk about it in the podcast. Like, I'm not joking. It, it was literally one of the worst at-bats I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen pitchers hit. Like, it was one of the worst at-bats I have ever seen. For those that don't know what I was talking about, I believe it was game – I was game tweeting it. Two, so it was I a think. game – Game two, bases were loaded, two outs. Um, the Tyler Gilbert was pitching, pitching chains. Righty comes out. I don't know exactly a, a Sutton or some someone uh, whoever's in the uh, uh, Diamondbacks bullpen. Righty comes in to face Lane Thomas. If I were Davey, I would have immediately pinch hit Yadiel Hernandez. There, we know Lane Thomas cannot hit righties. He leaves Lane Thomas in there, and it was the worst mistake <laughs> ever. Lane Thomas, I think it ended up being like a three, two count because the pitcher was wild. Lane Thomas did not swing the bat once and he struck out looking he, like he watched three pitches. Like it, it's just, what are we, the bases are loaded two outs and you're only up one swing the damn bat. Like, it, and this is the type of non-competitive at bats that we're seeing Riley Adams, who I think should be better than he is. So I'm not like completely out on him or anything. He's looked terrible at the plate. We've talked about Escobar and, and Fox and whatnot, but it's just any combination of guys you have down there are terrible. And that kind of transitions us into the ugly portion. And Amanda, you, you brought up a great point. Like the top half was barely better than the bottom half. So, you know, the, you know, the top half of the line could almost be in the ugly portion of this as well. But in the four game series, the bottom of the lineup, six through nine, hit 170. And if you take out Victor Robles, who went three for 13, they hit 150. Like Victor Robles being the best part of the bottom of the second half of your lineup is just, it's That's terrible. Hurtful, That's what that is. That's hurtful. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but to Ryan's point earlier, Victor Robles, three for 13. That's a 231 average. Do that. Uh, like, literally, just do that, and I will be fine. Because he he actually made an impact. Uh, he's always going to make an impact defensively. He made a couple of great catches and great plays this series. But if you can just 
get on, you know, well, it's not getting on, but 230 average and bump up his abysmal on base percentage of 147 up to like, you know, low 300s. That's fine. Like, we're not asking the world of you anymore. Like, just do something. I think he please. is above 300. Well, no, that's OPS, not on base percentage. <laughs> oh, yeah, his OPS is above 300. He's fine. Yeah, 327 OPS. Uh, yeah, rocketing up the rocketing up the board. Victor yeah. But uh, we, we've talked about the bottom half of the lineup enough, and that, that problem's not going away anytime soon because – I mean, there, there's no there's no reinforcements. There's no help on the way unless they go bargain bin shopping with all these impending DFA guys because the rosters are shrinking, which they could. And they probably should based on the amount of injuries they have. Granted, they will have to clear space on the 40 man like the, the bottom of the lineup is not going to change. One thing I do want to talk about is the dynamic with Fetty and Rogers, um, because they're both very similar pitchers and. I heard uh, Charlie and Dave talking about it today, so I'm not going to take all the credit, but they, they made a good point with Fetty and Rogers. Neither of them have like swing and miss stuff. They're both soft contact, ideally um, soft contact, you know, hitting your spots and Fetty hasn't been able to do that much throughout his career. So that's why, you know, he's been so bad most of his career and Josh Rogers is kind of the same, like that's going to be a potential problem. And we kind of saw that today the Dimebacks obviously teed off Fetty yesterday and Josh Rogers, granted he's a lefty and Fetty's a righty. They were able to tee off Rogers kind of the same. They hit what three home runs off him today. Um, and he only gave it four runs, but it was in four and a third. Like that's still an ERA above nine. Um, well, just below nine. It, it's something to think about. And again, we don't have a replacement on the uh, horizon to take over, but if you just have guys that are solely reliant on pitching the contact, it, it's going to be so easy for teams, even the worst teams, like the, the diamondbacks offense to tee up on these guys. So you're not really doing yourself any favors either. I don't really have a solution, but I just thought yeah, I don't it was know who, the op, who, who is right. the, who do they turn to? It's not like they have any pitching depth. Yeah. It was just like an interesting point that they brought up. It's they're, they're both soft throwing guys and yes, they're major league pitchers. So I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but it's, it's, you're kind of handing it over like Josiah Gray, you want to have swing and miss stuff and, and Patrick Corbin, like at the very least he has his slider when his sliders on, he's better like Fetty and Rogers don't have anything. And if they're, especially Rogers going after Fetty, like he's just going to continue to get teed up on. Uh, if the he's made three starts now, right? Rogers, right? Yeah, he's only pitched 9.2 innings in three starts, so I, it's just awful. Yes, because he went up against the Braves and then the Pirates, and then yeah, today, yeah. So, in three starts, 9.2 innings. I mean, it's just, I mean, I know that, that we've we keep talking about the results don't matter, it's you know, it doesn't really, you just need a guy to eat innings, I guess, because this team's not competitive. But man, it's tough to see a guy averaging three innings per start, that's rough. Team results don't matter, but individual results are absolutely crucial in this year. Yeah, this 100%. is like, like, and like Nick, you said you don't want to put Fetty down. I'll gladly do it. <laughs> this is year six. This yeah. is the sick not a rookie, year, and he's he's still struggling. I like it's just isn't it? You know, like he's pitched well. He's pitched three hundred forty innings in his career. He has a five point three one ERA. That's just not it. His whip is 1.5. His K rate isn't good at all. 
Um, he's just he's not a strikeout guy. That's fine. But the problem is he stinks. Like <laughs> he got four swings and misses against the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks are atrocious. They strike out a lot as a team. I cannot stress this enough how bad the Diamondbacks offense was coming into this series and the Nats kind of revitalized them. A lot of that was with the 11 run game. You score 11 runs in the game, your offense is going to look pretty good, but he's not good. Like how many, how many innings did Patrick Murphy pitch um, in the Fetty game? Patrick Murphy. I think he only went an inning. Okay, well, he had three swings and misses, and Eric Fetty pitched what? Oh, no. Four or five innings, and he oh, had four no. swings and misses. Yeah, he's like he's Eric Fetty's not missing bats. He doesn't have the velocity, which is fine. If you're a starting pitcher and you don't have velocity, that's okay because there's a lot of very very successful starting pitchers that are finesse pitchers because they can pinpoint where they right. want the pitch to go. The issue is Eric Fetty can't pinpoint it. He doesn't get enough spin rate. He's not very accurate. And there's just not a lot of movement going on either. A, he is the prime A example of the Nationals developmental failures from 2011 on. Hopefully what the Nats are doing is you know going to work because Eric Fetty is that shining example of just the pitcher who had pretty good upside. Like I'm not talking about top end rotation guy, but when Fetty was you no know, coming up, he projected as a solid three or four right now he projects, um, I don't know, to play for the Savannah band bananas, that really <laughs> annoying team. That I keep seeing on my TikTok right now. It's just, he is headlining the list of the guys on this team that just aren't it. And it's so unfortunate to see because the stuff on paper shouldn't equal this bad results, but here we are. And he'll be here next year and maybe forever. I don't know why, but somehow he has a permanent place in the rotation no matter what. So, Well, again, you don't have much competition. So hopefully, yeah. in theory, you get Cavalli next year. Maybe if you luck out, you get Cole Henry next year. So that at least bumps out Fetty and, um, and Rogers. And with Rogers, it's not like we ever expected the world of him. Like he didn't make the team out of camp. And again, that's no slight against him. I, I think you know, it's a little bit of a slide, I, but I, I do think he's like trying hard. And we talked to or uh, who was it? I think it was Jesse Doherty again. We talked about how Josh Rogers was like really working his ass off to to make the team, and you know, he had a fire under his ass. Whereas you look at, I'll, I'll just name him, it's not like we're strangers to disparaging this man, but Patrick Corbin, when things are going wrong, it looks like he could care less, like it, it's just a, a, you know, another day for him. And, you know, maybe they know this team sucks and, and all this stuff and they're not going to be competitive. So it's hard to like get gassed up, but it's nice seeing guys that at least care. And that only goes so far. I understand like results matter and, you know, right. this, we're, we're trying to, to, to build a team. People right. who get upset when they suck right. and people who don't. Yeah. Right. And that, that's my point. So it's like Josh Rogers, I'm, I'm like, okay. Within the meantime, he's not going to project to be anything special um you know impact player at this level but uh, yeah i'm completely out on eric fetty it there's just there's just no there's no redeeming qualities about him to be honest uh like ryan was saying if you're kind of a soft it feels so weird saying soft throwing i'm just using it because that's what that's how charlie and dave described him but soft throwing like nine low 90s 90 91 or, you know, some guys even throw softer than that. 
you have to be so precise with your location. And I mean, Fetty might be the farthest thing from it. Like we talked about how much he nibbles and just does Mm -hmm. not throw strikes and just is the most infuriating pitcher to watch in the Nats currently. Like he's never going to be that guy without a major, major developmental breakthrough, which I don't think comes with this organization. Not after six years. I mean, maybe with a change of scenery, maybe. I I think the, the absolute worst case scenario absolute worst case scenario is if he turns into a Kevin Gosman, but that's also a kind of an extreme. Uh, Yes. Kevin Gosman was a late breakout candidate, but Kevin Gosman has like, you know, he has the velocity and the extreme movement on his pitches as well. I think he went eight today. I was listening to. Right. But I mean, that that was two years, three years after his, his breakout. So I'm not surprised. I mean, he just got a nine figure deal in the off season. So it's, you can't really compare them one-to-one right now but I, I just because the orioles tried to make kevin gosman a thing forever even the braves traded for him weren't able to make it through and it wasn't until he you know took a flyer with the giants where he kind of broke through in 2020 and then replicated it in 2021 and got got paid like but that's absolute worst case scenario for the nats but that's what one in um, literally one in a million like there's probably been a million pitchers that have come through and just not not been kevin gosman <laughs> right exactly and so I have a question. Eric for Fetty you doesn't profile like that. So it's time to just move on. What's up? Given the feelings about both Rogers and Fetty, particularly Fetty, how do you feel about Anibal Sanchez once he's healthy? Would you rather see him in the rotation no. than one of those guys? Or would you rather <laughs> stick with no. no, 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 no. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it a hundred times. Watching a young guy struggle is completely different than watching a 37-year-old bum. Yes, I am calling Ambal Sanchez a bum. I don't want to see that guy in the majors. I don't care. I have a whole... Actually, hold on. Let me, let me rephrase that. I do want to see him in the majors just because I have a lot of narratives against him. I can get some funny tweets, but no, um, that's, that's a serious question. I think that's a question the Nats are talking to themselves about. I hope they don't. Again, I'm not going to rip Rodgers no expectations from him whatsoever. I think he could be a useful, like Paolo Espino type, put him in the bullpen. You know, you have your long man role. He could make a spot start here or there. Maybe projects as like a seven guy in the rotation, but Eric Fetty, I will rip just because what it should have been, but no, I'd rather you'd see still the rather guys. see Fetty than Sanchez. Yes. I don't want, it's like, it's like LCD's Escobar. I don't want to watch LCD's Escobar struggle. I'd much rather see Luis Garcia potentially struggle and make errors up in the major leagues. It's like that type of yeah, thing. You know what I mean? Both on that for sure. Well, I think you might get <laughs> so, your wish because the latest injury update on Sanchez that I saw today was that he's yeah, he may um, never pitch not again. even throwing and is only rehabbing and they might let him start building up his arm sometime in the distant yeah, future. So like I don't think the- he's going to be making any appearances anyway. There's a real chance he just retires. Like if we're being honest, he didn't pitch last year. He's not throwing right now, which, hey, you're a pitcher. You kind of need to throw the damn baseball. Like, you know, it's kind of important. Uh, but to your question, I'm willing to to see it. Uh, it's not a, a matter of like want or anything like that. I don't want to see either of them on this team, if we're being honest. But if I have to choose one, I'm willing to at least give Anibal Sanchez a couple starts just to see uh it, it's not like Fetty's locking down a position he's only there as a placeholder because we don't have anyone else so it's like I, i'm willing to see 
because we just talked about Fetty after six years, I think we know what we got, but if Sanchez is the same as Fetty, then just give me Fetty because at least there's that small sliver of hope that he could be a little bit better. He could figure it out. Yeah. Okay. I was just, I was just thinking about it as an interesting, since I think there's a consensus here, which is rare. We don't always have a consensus that we're all set on Eric Fetty. Yeah, we are definitely all set. Um, Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on something Amanda and I talked about on, uh, on Monday, uh, if we're talking release day, Uh, Luis Garcia. And I know you've talked about like the, you know, the difference in strategy between someone like Luis Garcia and uh, Victor Robles or, you know, any of these other young guys that they've had up. I mean, even Riley Adams. At what point do you think the Nats need to call up Luis Garcia? I... (laughs) So I, I, I don't really get why he's not up now. He's hitting well in the minor leagues, which is pretty good to see because he hasn't truly done that in the minor leagues before. Um, he's always been right around average in the minor leagues. I think they just want him to get more familiar with shortstop and kind of work out some of the, the defensive kinks that are going to be following him there. My only question about that is, this team isn't going places. So why does it matter? Like Michael Franco had three errors at third base the other day. Like, oh my why? God. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Why Actually, does it matter? Why does it matter seeing Luis Garcia struggle at shortstop in the major leagues? Like, personally, I think he will learn a little bit more when you're on a team that isn't going to be doing anything. But I think if he continues hitting like this mid May, if he starts to struggle a little bit, we'll probably see him in June, unless like LCS Escobar just completely just goes even more poo-poo than he is now than they might have to yeah and i the only argument that i see for keeping him down is oh we don't want to ruin his confidence or something but i don't know i don't think most players are that delicate and he's been up and down a couple times already he's i think obviously you know reached the potential he's going to reach in the minors and if he's going he is still struggling defensively which as you just pointed out, Ryan, who cares if he struggles defensively? Why not get him up here where he can get at bats against major league pitching and continue to develop on the hitting side, you know, on his offense and then let him struggle defensively here rather than in AAA. I just don't get why we're watching all these old retreads instead of letting a guy like Garcia, who's the future of the team, get some major league exposure. It just makes no sense to me at all. No, none. I mean, Speaking of consensus, it sounds like we're, we're all in agreement there, but it's just, yeah, it it makes no sense. And I obviously echo your guys' points. Uh, If you think back to when we did our rankings and it was mainly in the shortstops episode, when we did our rankings, Ryan made the point that defense does not matter if you're hitting. And I'm not trying to say Luis Garcia is going to hit to the level of a Xander Bogarts or, uh, (laughs) <laughs> or a pipe dream Fernando Tatis level production offensively. But if he's hitting, I would like to see it, especially so. compared to the rest of this lineup or like most of this lineup, you will gladly super willingly forgive any defensive shortcomings. If he's mm-hmm. able to hit, if he's able to hit, um, trying to pull up Cape Ruiz's stats right now. Uh, so oh. KB Ruiz 238. Oh, well, I guess it's gone down a little bit after that, uh, over 10, but 238, 233, 310. Ah, I don't like that one. 
No, God, it's this team sucks. He's um <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's not updated. Uh Kiba Ruiz is hitting 261, 255, 326. Okay, that's a little bit better. Um, yeah, so what like a 700 OPS, still not great, but if he can provide some my point is Ruiz has had flashes offensively. That's really what I'm trying to say, and I'm doing a poor job at saying it. But if you get that from Luis Garcia, nobody's talking about Ruiz's struggles. We're only talking about the good things that have come with Ruiz playing at the major league level. And Ruiz has had plenty of struggles and opportunities to, to work on and to grow into. But nobody's talking about that right now because – we're just happy to see him playing and just having some semblance of success at the major league level. The same can be applied to Luis Garcia. Yes, he's not going to be the prized trade chip from Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and this top prospect in baseball. No, but look at how the fanfare was for Lucius Fox when he came up. Everyone wanted Lucius Fox to do well. And, you know, he made the one diving play and then has been kind of a liability ever since. Oh, and the sack bunt. I mean, I got to show love to to people who bunt, but, you know, look at the fanfare for that. If Luis Garcia comes up, everyone's going to be wanting him to succeed. And if he does have any semblance of success, even just like a a clutch hit, one clutch hit, you know, that's going to be a building block for him to just grow into, uh, you know, his his role as a MLB player. And he's going to be able to grow with this team. It, It makes no sense that you have this young core, this young nucleus, up at the major league level and you're excluding seemingly one of your key guys who already has a, a decent amount of major league experience from that equation. It just doesn't make much sense to me. Yes. Last year was kind of a throwaway after the deadline, but that's still valuable major league experience that he got. And I, pl- I believe he was up in 2020 as well. Like, cause I remember the, obviously his first home run with no fans in the stands and just the worst home run call of all time. Like he has a good amount of major league experience. He had more than Caber Ruiz. He had more than Lucius Fox and he still was not the first guy. It just, it makes no sense. Uh, you need to call him up now in my mind. And what I agree. Is the worst case. That's the question to me. Like what's the worst thing? He has three errors in the same game. Like, okay. Obviously <laughs> like Michael that's Franco. Not, right. Obviously that's not a, you know, a deterrent to this uh, coaching staff. So I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. Just call him up. You know what the worst thing would be? Um, he hits 167, 255, 190, and is then he has uh, uh, that is Alcides Escobar, and then uh, okay. he has a negative four defensive run save through 11 games played. You're telling me Luis Garcia can't do that? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think Luis Garcia is a shortstop going forward. No, but he's he'll be better than no, that. No, 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 no I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Booty like, cheeks. Yes, I I, I agree. That wasn't to say like as to a reason why you shouldn't be called up. I'm just saying, you know, if that's not where he projects long term, like it it doesn't doesn't matter. Just put him up with the major league experience. So at least he can get his rhythm offensively as well and see major league pitching. It's I don't know. We can talk about this forever. It it just makes no sense. And you kind of go back to. You know, the learner's sale and the offseason moves. It, the Nats have no clue what they're doing. They are not consistent whatsoever. They tell Nelson Cruz they're trying to win, and they make no other, you know, substantial moves in the offseason. They keep uh, Luis Garcia down, but 
they, you know, are willing to let anyone and everyone else struggle at the major league level. Like there's no consistency. There's no like breadcrumb trail that you can follow their thought process. Like there's no consistency with this team. They're literally flying by the seat of their pants. And I, I just don't see a world where they get lucky like they did before. Let's let's I mean, let's call a spade a spade. They got lucky with Strasburg and Harper and Rendon in three consecutive drafts. That's an unreal unreal three consecutive years in drafts and obviously two of those were top pick or like number one overall picks but i mean even the number one overall pick is far from a sure thing like look at dansby swanson yes i mean he's a contributor for that braves world series team but there's talks that they might not even re-sign him at the end of the year like the number one pick is far from a sure thing and you got three pretty generational players like anthony rendon is probably the weakest of the bunch but he's still got a, a fat paycheck and, you know, was an MVP candidate and arguably should have been MVP that year as well. Like, they're not going to have that again. That doesn't come around. That's not that's not a game plan. So that just that coupled with, you know, their strategy this year and specifically the Luis Garcia thing like we're talking about just tells me they have no consistency in their thought process. Like, I don't know if it's just the shift with all the, the scouts right? Because they overhauled their developmental team and their scouting department and all that stuff. I don't know if it's like a, a new uh, mindset that they are trying to implement and it needs a little bit to come to fruition. Like I, I, I'm hoping so just for the Nat's sake, but there's just no consistency with this team whatsoever. And it, it sucks. Yep. That's cogent analysis. It sucks. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Couldn't agree. But um, I, I imagine this preview we'll get into of the upcoming giant series will be quick. Uh, but if you're looking at the series, the Nats are back in action tomorrow or today on release day, uh, the giants have not announced their starter yet, but if you're looking at it, it's probably going to be, I think it was supposed to be Logan Webb. I'll, I'll pull that up, but you're probably going to get Logan Webb, Alex Cobb and Alex Wood. And I, I get, Cobb and Wood are not, you know, the scariest names on paper, but the Giants, I think Ryan said this last year, the Giants are cheating. Like They're doing something that are that with this pitching staff, that's just unreal. Like so many teams tried to fix Kevin Gosman and they weren't able to, and the Giants made him a Cy Young contender. Um, so th- that's a little They're odd. Doing something right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll probably, uh, so we'll probably get Alex Wood tomorrow. And then um, let's see. I'm trying to see who started their double because they had a they were in the Nats position. They had a double a rain out Monday, double header Tuesday. Uh, we'll probably get Cobb or um, no, it'll probably be Cobb on Saturday and then uh, Webb on Sunday against Josiah Gray. So it's like Josiah Gray is our best chance to win, but he's going up against Logan Webb. And, you know, it's not like Josiah Gray gets a ton of run support as is. So it's not, and it's also not like the Nats are going to score off Logan Webb either. So um, Wood, Cobb, Webb, four letter, four letter assassins. That's Mm -hmm. the, that's the trio. Uh, This series against the Giants and that's up against Corbin, Espino and Gray. Thoughts, expectations for the series? Expectations low. So when you look at the (laughs) Giants, the strength of this team is pitching. 
Uh, starting pitchers, they're fourth in ERA, sixth in WHIP, first in K per nine, first in home run per nine, and sixth per walk per nine. They don't give up home runs, and they're going to strike you out a hell of a lot, and they don't give up base runners. Doesn't really get much easier when you go to the bullpen either. Their bullpen's second in the ERA, 13 in WHIP, 24th in K per nine. They don't strike you out as much. Seventh in hits per nine and third in home runs per nine. Hitting is around league average, a little worse. 15th in OPS, 18th in average, 12th in runs, six in home runs, fifth in stolen bases as well. So that'd be a good, uh, a good little challenge for this defense as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Expectation? I don't have any. They just had a very good series with the Mets. I don't know. I'm expecting a sweep. <laughs> um, <laughs> hoping, hoping just to lose two out of three. But on paper, you know, the lineup is average. So hopefully the pitching can do well. But regardless who they throw out there, their pitching staff and bullpen's been rather lights out. They missed some of the big heads, which is kind of nice. Well, some. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really expecting much for this series. Yeah, I'm kind of I, a sweep wouldn't surprise me. I think the ceiling is they take one. Um, you know, Brian just gave us a very nice rundown on the stats. Um, this team is better than the Nationals, um, uh, certainly on paper and certainly with the eyeball test. And as you said, they just had a, a really strong series against the Mets, who are arguably the best team in baseball right now. So, I do have expectations of this team in there of this series, and they are very low. Yeah. And just as the Giants strength is their pitching, the Nationals weakness, we talked about the, the lineup a lot tonight, but the Nationals weakness is their pitching as a whole. And that's including the bullpen. If you're looking at the, the league totals and keep in mind, the Nats have currently played one more game than a lot of teams, but they are leading the league in runs allowed and hits allowed and walks allowed. <laughs> so not great there. Um, yeah, that's so, the perfect time for that. Is that good gift that you see online a lot? Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm expecting a sweep. Are you guys expecting a sweep too? Is that I think uh, the ceiling is they steal one. Like they, you know, San Francisco. I, has I just an don't see where. Like I, I guess you can. I don't say, you can throw. You can throw out a Patrick Corbin performance because Alex Wood is like a five inning most at most guy. Like maybe. But I just don't see it. Maybe if, if Corbin it. manages to have a, a decent outing where he only allows a couple of runs and the bullpen can be lights out, then you know maybe the middle of the lineup can get a little something done. Maybe that's how they steal one. But I think most likely a sweep. Tyler Bede is rejected starter on Friday. Um, oh. Never heard of him for my life. Say, otherwise, me neither. So they must be going like the go... Espino route. <laughs> okay. Don't know what to expect from him because I have no idea who he is or what his numbers look like. Yeah, so, I mean, he's definitely going to go seven scoreless, if we're being honest. We're definitely going to make him look like a side. The Nats contender. have no information <laughs> about him. So that's, like, the you know best thing the Giants could hope for. So I think we're all on the sweep uh, if I had to put my money somewhere, which I will be putting my money somewhere so I hopefully get back on track. Because today was disappointing. My apologies to anyone who tailed me today. But if you tell me the last couple of days, you should at the very worst be even because I was on quite the heater. All right. We're going to wrap this show the way we end all of our shows with our one big thing. I'll go first and it's nationals related tonight. And it's one thing we did not talk about. Donovan Casey. D-Strange Gordon goes on the IL. They call up Donovan Casey. 
And I wasn't expecting, you know, a, a new Juan Soto. I wasn't expecting, you know, even a K Bay Ruiz type impact. I was just expecting, you know, a, a young guy similar to how I talked about with Luis Garcia, just fun getting to see what he's got. Even if it was only for a couple games till DSG got back, even if it was, you know, only for a couple games until you needed to make uh, a move to get more bullpen pieces. I was just excited to see him. And you were playing the Pirates, you were playing the Dimebacks. It's not like he was going up against, you know, the Dodgers rotation or the Brewers rotation or, or anything like that. Like it was a pretty good stretch to ease in a young guy. And you had the need too. We talked about the bottom of the lineup every single time we, you know, get together and talk how bad it is. Like some sort of energy to that bottom half of the lineup would have been awesome to have seen, at least the chance to have seen. And Donovan Casey, he, he's a bit of a boomer bust guy. He, like he has good power, but he, you know, tends to strike out a lot. But again, just that chance, that opportunity, like maybe you catch lightning in a bottle. Who knows? We didn't expect Juan Soto to be this good. Like who, who knows? I don't know. But instead, the Nats treated one of their top prospects and one of their, you know, prized return uh, assets from the Max Scherzer trade turner deal as nothing more than like a, a warm body bench warmer. He was up for five games and he did not see the field once, not even as a defensive sub. He plays all three outfield positions. Like he, he could have been in there. Like th- there's just no reason whatsoever that he comes up for five games against two of the worst teams in the national league and doesn't even see it at bat. Like he was literally just a warm body. That's not, you don't do that with a prospect. If you do that, and you know this is just an example, he's not on the 40-man, so they couldn't have. But you do that with a Gerardo Parra or an Andrew Stevenson or, or something like that. Right. You don't do that with a top prospect. And I'm not trying to say, oh, his growth is going to be stunted now and his career is ruined. Uh, like, in reality, this probably won't impact Donovan Casey's career. But it, it's incredibly stupid and reckless to just call up a prospect and just – take five six days probably seven if you include the travel days out of his routine because now he's going to have to get back triple a get used to you know playing every day and i haven't looked at his stats today i think he just got sent down yesterday but it, it just makes no sense and it goes back to what i was saying about or, you know saying earlier the nats have no consistency with their thought process and their actions specifically like that legitimately made me mad And I'm at the point, you know, this year where I just, I don't care. Like Ryan said, I'm not going to be too invested in the results. I'm invested in the individual performances. I wanted to see Donovan Casey, but more than that, more than just wanting to see him, you should have played him. There was absolutely, you had a double header. You had, you know, no days. Oh, well, I mean, Monday was an unexpected rain out, but like there was plenty of opportunities and legitimate reasons to put him in and you didn't. And I'm not trying to say he's going to be an MVP candidate and all this stuff. Like he might be a bust. He very well could be, but you don't do that with one of your prospects. Like if they do call up Luis Garcia, you're, you don't sit him behind uh, Alcides Escobar. Like you, you just don't do that with your top prospects. It, It made me so mad that of course these guys aren't developing. They're, they're treating them like warm bodies. It, it just, it, it made me so mad to see that. So I really hope he just, you know, scorches AAA 
gets called up and really gets his opportunity because that, you know, really, really pissed me off. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it leaves a bad taste in his mouth. You know what I mean? That's the important thing. You want a good relationship with this. He's, he's newer to the system. It's his for, you know, his opportunity to, to play for the Nats and, and you bring him up and just sit in. I don't know. You're right. It's, it was to me, just piss poor form and just something you shouldn't do. I didn't like it either. All right. What's your one big thing? Um, my one big thing is, as we all know that um, Miguel Cabrera is looking for his 3000th hit, which is super cool. He had the opportunity in his last at bat today. And instead the, that was my walked him. <laughs> oh, was that yours? Which yes. annoyed the crap out of me. I understand that like the game is the game, blah, blah. This is to me, like when a guy, when there's a no hitter going and you try to spoil it in the ninth, even though, you know, you're not going to win the game. Like it's just a dick move. Pardon my French. And uh, it, it just drove me nuts. I was like, really? Like everybody's there. Everybody's watching. Everybody's there because they want to try to see him get his 3000th hit and you intentionally walk him so that he doesn't even have the opportunity. Just, just bad form. Worse than not playing Donovan Casey. So that's my one big thing. F you Yankees. Yeah. I, I'm going to quickly piggyback off that. Uh, Karen move <laughs> because there was... They were sold out. Comerica sold out. When was the last right. time we saw Comerica sold out? Um, in April, by the way, because it's still very cold in Detroit this time of year. Um, but what's his name? What uh, Miguel Cabrera had a really funny response to it when they asked him. He was like, it's okay. My own base went up. Like, just completely shrugged it off. But Such a pro. <laughs> it was a dick move. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I see him do it at home. Like, everything he needs that franchise, it's really cool. But you mentioned it breaking up a no-hitter. The Astros player tried to bunt to break up Otani's no hitter uh-huh. and he got booed by his own fans which was so funny I love that I love that yeah, yeah like that- a real baseball fan knows there are some things you don't do like you said Comerica was sold out everybody was there to see it happen and it's fine if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but like to make it so it couldn't possibly happen to just remove the opportunity it was just terrible and Otani's what it, one thing it's a no hitter there's been a ton of those and especially by guys that are not anything special Homer Bailey threw two, um, but Otani was throwing a perfect game. Like that's such a dick move to to yeah. bunt during a perfect game. And I mean, Otani had like, like seventeen strikeouts lose. through four innings. Like it was yeah. absurd, especially against a universally loved player, right? Exactly, Otani. <laughs> yeah, and like that, that would you rather absurd. lose and be part of a perfect game than break it up and and end up just being like some stupid footnote that nobody ever thinks about or talks about again. I mean, it's just, I mean, I, I would just rather like earn it. Like I, I just, I, I, ironically, I said this on the space today. I hate the idea of bunting for a hit unless it's against the shift, which the shift is kind of stupid anyways. Uh, well, not stupid. Like it, it works for a lot of teams, but I just hate it as a fan. But unless you're bunting against the shift, like bunting for a hit is so stupid at the major league level. It works in college. I, it certainly works at the, the lower levels, but at the major league level, it, it's so stupid. I, I absolutely hate it. So to break up a no hitter, I mean, if you, yeah. if you try to bump for a hit, I just automatically give you an error. Like you, you <laughs> reach, you reach on an error or like a feeler's choice or something. Like I'm not counting that as a hit. You're, you're just scum. But the good news with the Miguel, the good news with the Miguel Cabrera thing is at least the Tigers are at home tomorrow. Like it would have been horrible, like 10 times worse if the Yankees pulled that and then the Tigers go on the road tomorrow. Like that would have been an extreme gut punch. Which they absolutely would have because they don't care. No, they don't care. Um, 
so that that would have been bad but thankfully they are home tomorrow and well, i imagine I'm, I'm there'll be another sellout I'm, watching it on my phone to see like when he has an at bat i'm like i gotta i gotta at least be on the mlb at bat app so i can know when it happens god a sold out crowd on a day game on a thursday like, right damn because you want to watch history and right. the yankees i don't blame him i don't blame him i mean amanda you're going to be traveling to vancouver when Ovi's going for i don't care if it's edmonton so. when when Ovi's about to break that record I'm going to follow the damn team around, even if it's in Western Canada, until it happens. I'm going to be in the building. And I respect it. But all right, that pretty much does it for this episode. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Half Street High Heat and check out the Patreon. Uh, I mean, we're posting stuff every single day. We're kind of mixing up. We're still doing all, all of the podcasts, but we're doing more of the articles now, too. Obviously, the pickoff, our gambling show, has daily picks. So Matt's been posting articles every single day and just with picks. So it's short and sweet to the point. You can just read it, tail it if you so choose. Uh, Ryan and I have been uh, guest spotting with some picks on there as well. Um, so we're doing that every day, but we still will do the uh, podcast as well. CK posted a fancy baseball article today. Um, so we're mixing it up. It's not going to be all episodes because I know we only have so much free time during the week. And obviously we still want you listening to this episode. So we're mixing it up with our content. So you don't have to listen to like 40 hours of content in a week. You know, we can mix it up and you still get your baseball fix as well. So be sure to check out the Patreon. I mean, everyone's been killing it. I'm very happy with how that's turning out. Um, I, you know, thank you guys for your support. So be sure to check out the Patreon. Uh, you can just search Half Street High Heat on Patreon and you will see all the different tiers for membership as well. And be sure to check out the site at halfstreethighheat.com. Again, same thing. I just said about the Patreon to the site. It, it's been great all off season long. But I mean, now that we're in season, still killing it too. Monty does a phenomenal job over there. Uh, even with all the million things he has going on in his life, like he still runs a, a clean ship over at the site so be sure to check that out and all the latest good stuff from our writing team um and the youtube channel trey i mean again we're <laughs> he's killing it uh youtube uh go to youtube.com slash half street high heat and hit that subscribe bell so that way you don't miss a single video content analysis that trey does it's great stuff like he has a couple of videos that are 20 to 30 minutes but then he has a couple that are like three to four so you know it's just a quick deep dive it's fun to just dive down the rabbit hole and just get you know lost in the baseball content that's what trey can do for you and that's what we can do for you at half street high heat so be sure to check us out basically anywhere if there's like internet involved we're there so just search us like you, you just never know so do that and you won't be disappointed but that's all i got you guys got anything else before we head out nope nope me neither uh I, well, I guess just I, I hope Josiah Gray continues because obviously a good start against the Braves, rough start against the Mets, but it was early on and it was cold um, and then great start against the Diamondbacks. So hopefully he can continue it on Sunday at home day game in front of, well, I was going to say in front of a lot of fans, but it might only be like 13,000. So if hope Josiah, any indication. Yeah. I hope Josiah can continue his uh, hot stretch that he's been on. All right, that does it for this episode. Again, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Half Street High Heat, Amanda at A White Seven Eight Seven Seven, Ryan at We Are All Shack, and myself at The Coach Moose. We appreciate you listening. 
And in the meantime, let's go Nats. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. Dawn, well, you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.